and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Professor Gordon Wishart, founder, chief medical officer, and CEO of Check for Cancer, a leading early cancer detection and prevention organization. As the former director of the Cambridge Breast Unit from 2005 to 2010, and current professor of cancer surgery at Anglia Ruskin School of Medicine since 2008, Professor Wishart has a strong track record in clinical research and modernization of cancer diagnosis and treatment with more than 100 peer reviewed papers in scientific journals. In 2010, he led a team of clinicians and scientists that developed the PREDICT breast cancer treatment and survival model, which is now used worldwide. He's a vocal critic of the government's handling of the current backlog of cancer patients in the NHS. And he's here today to chat with me about this. Professor Wishart, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be here, Claire. Thank you for the invitation. This is such an important issue, and you've been very vocal, but I'd say very constructively vocal. So I guess my, my first question to you is, how bad is this cancer backlog? Well, it, it's probably one of the, the biggest challenges, certainly in, in my career as a, a cancer surgeon. But essentially, the lockdown restrictions have had a devastating impact on cancer diagnosis really throughout 2020. 20. As a result of several things, I think firstly the stay-at-home government message, uh, a lack of access to GPs and a reduction in access to non-COVID NHS services. And, and as a result of that, there were approximately 350,000 less urgent cancer referrals in 2020 compared to 2019. And out of that, throughout the UK, we've seen almost 40,000 less cancers diagnosed in 2020 compared to the previous year. And out of that number, about 8,000 were screen-detected cancers. So because of the suspension of screening services, a large number of early-stage cancers have not yet come to light. So really a devastating impact. Yeah, I want to dig into that data a little bit more. But before we do, uh, what elements of variability are you seeing in, in, in these numbers that you reference? So, you know, across region or uh, against disease area in particular? Yes, well, I, th I think throughout the UK, screening services were suspended. Um, so I think that has really been a universal effect. With regard to actual cancer treatment continuing, then some parts of the country were better than others. Um, as you know, the NHS took over all the independent sector hospitals. But unfortunately, they were not all used by the NHS, and many of them lay fallow throughout April to July. So, uh, for instance, in Cambridge, I know one of the local independent hospitals has really done a large number uh, of NHS procedures in the last 12 months, but that's not the case countrywide. Mm -hmm. If we look at which particular cancers have been most affected, then sadly, because of delays in diagnosis, we see patients presenting with cancers at a, at a later stage when there's less chance of cure and in general, they require much more treatment. And that has been particularly seen in lung cancer and colorectal cancer. And, and in terms of prostate cancer, which I know you're, you're very interested in, almost a 4% increase in patients 
presenting with stage four prostate cancer. So the most advanced stage. I haven't heard that number. Um, where does that come from, that piece of data? Yeah, that's data from the Southeast London Cancer Alliance. Okay. Uh, and and I'm, I'm happy to send you that paper that you mm. may want to share with, with any of the, the people that listen to the podcast. In, indeed, indeed. Thank you. I will do that. Yeah. Um, so 4%. And, you know, again, it, it picks up on something else that, that I'm very interested in, which is some of the numbers that get a little bit masked because, so for example, that men will get treated um, so it wouldn't be part of, of the numbers you cite in terms of not getting treated, but they might be treated inappropriately. Can you comment on that? I, I think whatever cancer we're talking about, the professional bodies that look after the cancer specialists that, that manage cancer really issued guidelines to try and help clinicians guide their way through the various lockdown restrictions. And, and that has meant that some people might have had what would have been a traditional treatment pathway changed. So. Mm-hmm. There might have been less people having surgery and more people having, you know, non-invasive treatment like radiotherapy, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that a number of people had chemotherapy deferred, delayed or, or sometimes even cancelled. So, so there have been changes. I've just seen a paper published on variations in breast cancer treatment uh, throughout the last 12 months. And actually, although there were quite a number who had their treatment varied, it was fairly minor differences. But again, I think that will be cancer specific and some cancers will have been affected much more than others. In particular, those cancers that need intensive care treatment after Mm. surgery, Mm. uh, because those intensive care places were just not available because of so many people being unwell with with COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you see this improving anytime soon? I think it's fair to say that we are probably back to pre-pandemic levels of activity in terms of cancer screening, cancer diagnosis, and cancer treatment. But in my opinion, that's not really good enough because we know from a Cancer Research UK report in 2019 that the state of cancer services in the UK was really poor with quite mediocre national survival rates compared to many other Western countries. And and that was largely due to inadequate early cancer detection and lack Mm -hmm. of access to optimal Mm -hmm. treatment. So Mm -hmm. yes, we've gone back to pre-pandemic levels of activity, but but as I've just said, they were not great. So I think this has to be a time, not just to be saying we need more money to employ more cancer specialists and get better access to imaging and treatment, But we should take this as an opportunity to really review all our cancer services uh, and really try and improve things for the UK as a whole going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you talk about variability in levels of diagnosis and and modernization of diagnosis, because, of course, as we've spoken about before, this is very much the case in prostate cancer, that the diagnostic pathway has improved radically over the last 10 years. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Two recent studies, uh, Promise and Precision, have have shown that if you add multiparametric MRI scanning to the pathway for someone with an elevated PSA, Mm -hmm. then it it really improves that pathway. It reduces the number of unnecessary biopsies and and detects more patients with a clinically relevant prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's that's been a, a big, big improvement. You know, we've known for a long time that PSA 
screening does actually reduce the number of deaths from prostate cancer, but but it has had a lot of bad press mm-hmm. um, because of the number of unnecessary biopsies and because of the complications from prostate biopsy. Indeed. But I think these two studies really address that issue. Uh, and, and I think the great challenge is to, to make sure that that expertise in reporting these very complicated MRI scans is now rolled out across all hospitals, apart from those that were involved in those two important studies. Absolutely. And, and, and indeed, that was beginning to happen. Do you think that the pandemic and the lockdowns and the things you've just been discussing have affected that? I think they'll probably have slowed down that rollout. But but now is the, the time for things to accelerate. And, and so I would hope that that would now continue there are shortages of radiologists. We have yeah. to, you know, there's going to be a big workforce issue, I think, in, deter- in terms of delivering cancer services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ra- radiology is one of those critical parts of that equation. Indeed, indeed. We hear about it all the time. So, so let's shift now to patients themselves. Um, what can men who are concerned about their prostate health do about this? I think there are two groups, really. There are the men who might be having some symptoms, you know, needing to rush to the toilet to pass urine or feeling maybe that they're not emptying their bladder properly or getting up during the night. Um, and and I, I think my message, as in all cancers, is if there are people sitting at home with new symptoms, you should come forward and get checked. It, it's safe to do so. In fact, it's probably much safer to come and get checked than, than stay at home. And with most men over 50, they will now have been vaccinated. So it's very safe to, to see your GP. And if mm-hmm. your GP thinks you should be referred, then that's the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. I would encourage anybody with symptoms to come and get checked. Mm-hmm. On, on the other hand, we know that men have had real problems, men over 50, getting a, a PSA check with their GP during lockdown. Uh, many GPs were only taking video conferences. And so it's, that's been something that's hard to do. So I think if we, we know that there are certain people who have an increased risk of prostate cancer and family history is really important. So, mm-hmm. you know, if men have a close family history, maybe their, their brother or their father, or maybe even their son who's had prostate cancer, then they're at increased risk. And I would encourage them to, to go and get their PSA checked. And then also if men come from a family where there's a, a strong family history of breast cancer caused by one of the BRCA genes, then again, there's an increased risk of prostate cancer there. So I think if people are in those increased risk groups, I would encourage them to, to seek screening, either through their GP or if that's not possible, then there are other ways to do that. And it's now even possible to do a, a finger prick blood test for PSA at home now. So Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit, how, how men might access that and, and um, how they can be reassured that it is indeed effective? This is something that we've been doing at Check for Cancer for a couple of years now. And, and we know that um, through some laboratory checks that, that the finger prick test is, is, is just as relevant and accurate as, as the traditional you know, blood draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be done really very easily. And, and we, we know what the ranges are for different age groups. And so men aged 40 plus can now access uh, a very simple test that they, they register online, a kit sent to their home. Uh, they take the fingerprint test, send it back to lab. We get the results and we let them know the results. And then depending on what that result is, that also helps work out what future risk is. And so you can let them know when they should next have a test. How do they find out about this test? How would they um, go online to register as you described? 
Well, you, you, you could look online um, on the Check for Cancer website, but there are a number of different companies now offering similar tests. So I think if you just search for PSA finger prick blood test and, and there will be several opportunities to do that. I mean, I'm particularly interested in risk stratification. So if someone's got a PSA less than one at age 40, then their future risk is really very, very low. And so they don't really need to be having a check every year. They could wait for six to eight years before their next blood test is done. So I think that element of risk stratification is important for prostate cancer and I think will become important for the management of all cancers going forward. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, the finger prick test will be of interest to, I think, a lot of men, and I will make sure that that gets highlighted on the program notes. But while we're talking about sort of innovations like that, there has been a lot of talk about a whole range of innovations in healthcare that the pandemic has generated, um, not only around the COVID vaccines themselves and the treatments for COVID, but also in fundamental healthcare processes, for example, such as telemedicine and home testing, as we've just been discussing, um, and monitoring, for example. So I guess my final question to you is, do you think men with suspected or diagnosed prostate cancer will benefit from any of these? Well, I'm sure that's the case. I think we've just talked about you know easier access to screening at home mm-hmm. testing i think i think they're key parts of that i think we have to be careful when applying telemedicine to, to cancer and, and video conferencing you know we're, we're we're taught throughout our career to treat the patient not the scan but i think there are a number of follow-up consultations and results consultations that can be done by video conference, you know, and stop people going to hospital unnecessarily. So I think clinicians, you know, will need to have access both to the traditional face-to-face consultations with people with prostate symptoms and prostate cancer, uh, but also supported by video conferencing when that can be done. Uh, and, And just to make the whole cancer treatment pathway, you know, easier to manage as patients go through it. Interesting. I, I'm very excited to hear about the pinprick test, and I will refer, um, as I said, on the on the program notes, um, our listeners to, to that. And I guess they can also learn a bit more about risk stratification as well, which, as you say, is is really really important to benefit from from any of the the innovations we're discussing. You're absolutely right that some developments in cancer diagnosis and treatment have been accelerated during lockdown. And I think there will be many more to come. You know, the the technology that's been developed for COVID vaccines, some of that could be applied to cancer treatments Mm. and and to cancer vaccines in the future. So Mm -hmm. that's really exciting. In breast cancer, traditionally radiotherapy has been for three weeks after surgery. um, And the fast forward trial was really pushed through quickly um, because that showed that for a, a large number of patients, having one week of radiotherapy was the same as three weeks. So that was actually introduced during lockdown to benefit breast cancer patients. So I I think we're going to see really an avalanche of innovations coming through, uh, which is great in cancer services in the next three to five years. That's very good news, which I think we'll end there. (laughs) Professor Gordon Wishart, thanks so much for speaking with me today. It's been a real pleasure. And I know for many of our listeners, they will really benefit from your comments. Thank you very much. Further information on Professor Gordon Wishart is available on our website, along with the transcript of this interview and additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.